Hi, I'm Frank Ferris, one of the principals of the Palliative Care Interdisciplinary Curriculum. I want to personally thank you for joining us for this module in our series on pain management. Hello, my name is Jessica Geiger, and I would like to talk to you about changing opioids and changing routes of administration. Let's start by talking about changing opioids. Now, let's convert tramadol to morphine. Remember Bill. He is a patient that has prostate cancer with bone metastases. He's reporting pain of 4 out of 10, and he is using tramadol at home to treat that. He is taking tramadol 150 milligrams every six hours around the clock. But he is now telling us that he is feeling agitated, dizzy, tremulous, and warm. Why do you think that is? Bill is likely experiencing a serotonergic syndrome secondary to taking the tramadol or an SSRI. Common symptoms of this include agitation, sweating, increased temperature, dilated pupils, tremor, diarrhea, and increased reflexes. The best thing we can do for Bill right now is to convert him off of the tramadol and use a trial of morphine as an alternative for his pain regimen. When we convert from one opioid to another, there are a few steps to follow. The first is to use an equi-analgesic dosing table. The next is to select the alternate opioid. We then calculate a safe starting dose. We want to minimize the risk of calculation errors in this step by using calculations that don't include decimal points, and then titrate the dose to effect. Opioid interaction and metabolism vary considerably from person to person. It's important to take this into consideration. There are many different tables that have been published, and most of those tables include data from acute dosing rather than chronic dosing. This acute dosing just uses one or two doses to convert to an alternate opioid. The data that we have is often studied in normal subjects with no additional disease states rather than people that also have a disease state such as cancer also happening. When you use an echoanalgesic dosing table, remember that the, the table you use just provides an initial conversion. It's best to use whole numbers rather than decimal points to minimize calculation errors, which ensures safety. We're then going to use the number we calculate and titrate to effect. As you can see here, we're looking at oral conversions, and the equi-analgesic dose is listed for each medication on the table. As we've said, we're going to convert Bill from tramadol to morphine. 150 milligrams of oral tramadol is approximately equivalent to 15 milligrams of oral morphine. The third step is to then calculate our safe starting dose. 
We're going from oral tramadol to oral morphine, and we know that 150 milligrams of oral tramadol is approximately equivalent to 15 milligrams of oral morphine. The next step in this process is to calculate the total daily dose of morphine that Bill was using. He was taking tramadol 150 milligrams by mouth every six hours around the clock. This adds up to 600 milligrams of oral tramadol in 24 hours. We then set up our proportion. We don't know how many milligrams of morphine we need, but we do know that Bill was using 600 milligrams of oral tramadol, and we know our conversion. 15 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to 150 milligrams of oral tramadol. We then do the math, and we find that 600 milligrams of oral tramadol calculates to 60 milligrams of oral morphine in 24 hours. Next, we need to give Bill a new prescription for the morphine. We need to use a scheduled dose as well as a breakthrough dose. So we would take our 60 milligrams of oral morphine that we calculated for 24 hours and divide that into a scheduled dose based on the half-life of morphine, which is four hours. We would give Bill 10 milligrams of oral morphine every four hours around the clock and then 10 to 20% of the total daily dose as a breakthrough. This ends up being morphine 10 milligrams hourly as needed for breakthrough pain, and the hourly as needed is based on the time to see max for oral morphine. We would then titrate this dose to effect or until Bill experiences side effects that he does not like. Now let's convert morphine to oxycodone. Bill's pain is now a four out of 10, and he's been taking extended release morphine 30 milligrams every 12 hours, but he's been requiring increased breakthrough doses to keep his pain control. He does not like how this is making him feel. He's telling us that he's lightheaded and he just feels unwell. He may not be responding to the morphine the same way someone else would. Remember that everyone responds differently to each opioid. So let's trial oxycodone for Bill as an alternative. 15 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to 10 milligrams of oral oxycodone. We need to calculate Bill's total daily dose of morphine and when you add it all up, you get the equivalent of 120 milligrams of morphine in 24 hours. We're going to use the conversion that we know. 10 milligrams of oral oxycodone is approximately 15 milligrams of oral morphine. We also know that Bill is using 120 milligrams of oral morphine in a day. So we solve for X and we get that that is equivalent to 80 milligrams of oral oxycodone in 24 hours. The new prescription for Bill for oxycodone would include a scheduled dose based on the half-life and also a breakthrough dose. You can offer Bill the scheduled dose in either the immediate release, 15 milligrams by mouth every four hours around the clock, 
or convert him to the extended release and offer 40 milligrams by mouth every 12 hours. In addition, we need to offer a breakthrough dose based on 10 to 20 percent of the total daily dose, and that ends up being oxycodone immediate release, 15 milligrams hourly as needed for breakthrough pain. Again, we're going to titrate this dose to effect or until Bill experiences side effects that he does not like. An additional principle when converting from one opioid to another is to adjust for incomplete cross-tolerance. And this is because each opioid is going to interact with the receptor in our body differently. If someone is experiencing poor pain control, we would recommend that you use 100% of your calculated equal analgesic dose. If someone is experiencing moderate pain control, we would recommend that you use 75% of the calculated dose or decrease your calculated dose by 25%. If someone is experiencing excellent pain control, we would recommend using 50% of the calculated dose when converting from one opioid to another. In summary, remember that there are four steps to follow when you're converting from one opioid to another. Use an equal analgesic dosing table, then choose your alternate opioid, calculate your safe starting dose, and then titrate to effect. Let's talk about changing routes of administration. We have several options when we're thinking about alternate routes of administration. We can use mucosal routes, which include oral, rectal, buccal, and enteral feeding tubes. We can use parenteral routes, which include subcutaneous, intravenous, or intramuscular. You'll notice that we crossed intramuscular off this list, and that's because we recommend against using that route of administration when possible. It's very painful for our patients. And most of the medications we use can be given subcutaneously, which is a much more tolerable route of administration. Additionally, we can use transdermal as a route of administration. When we're changing routes of administration, the steps are similar to changing opioids. Our goal is to calculate an equal analgesic dose using an alternate route. Our strategy is similar as well. We want to use an equal analgesic dosing table. And remember that there are several tables out there, but most of those were studied in acute dosing. From there, we're going to select an alternate route of administration and then calculate a safe starting dose. And to do this, we want to use a table that does not include decimal points to minimize the risk of calculation errors. Now remember, this is just a starting place because every patient is different. We're going to titrate their medications differently depending on the clinical situation. Finally, we're going to titrate that dose to effect. When using mucosal routes of administration, remember that the kinetics and dosing are very similar. These routes include oral, rectal, buccal, and enteral feeding tubes. And if you need to change between one of these routes and another, it does not require an additional calculation or conversion. 
Let's talk about transdermal administration. We can administer fentanyl via a transdermal patch. This is because fentanyl is a lipophilic medication and will absorb through the skin. Other opioids, such as morphine or hydromorphone, are hydrophilic and will not absorb through intact skin. If you look at a fentanyl patch and made a cross-section of it, you would see something similar to this picture. The patch is composed of a reservoir, a microporous membrane, contact adhesive, and a removable protective liner. The fentanyl reservoir diffuses through that microporous membrane and into the skin. Remember, we have several layers of our skin as well, starting in the stratum corneum all the way down to the subdermal tissue. The fentanyl pools in the dermal layer. It is then absorbed into systemic circulation through the cutaneous microvasculature. Here are the kinetics of the fentanyl patch. It takes about 12 to 24 hours for a patch to reach its peak effect. And each patch will last about 48 to 72 hours. We have a variety of dose rates available to us when using fentanyl patches. And I'd like to highlight that this is a rate. These patches come in micrograms per hour, which is different than how we dose all of our other opioids. When using these patches, it's important to make sure they appropriately stick to the skin. And you want them to stick to the skin completely. To do this, avoid areas with hair or areas that are edematous and areas that are sweaty. Sweating can cause the patch to simply slide off. If a patient has a fever, they should be monitored closely because increased body temperature can cause the medication to diffuse out of the patch and into the body at a much higher rate. How would we change from morphine to transdermal fentanyl? Let's talk about Bill. He's been taking oral morphine daily, but he doesn't like how it's making him feel. Let's do a trial of a fentanyl patch as an alternative. There are a lot of studies available that evaluate the equivalency of morphine to transdermal fentanyl. The range in the literature goes from 45 milligrams all the way up to 135 milligrams of oral morphine that would be approximately equivalent to a 25 microgram per hour fentanyl patch. We have chosen 50 milligrams of oral morphine in 24 hours is approximately equivalent to a 25 microgram per hour fentanyl patch for a couple of reasons. The first is that it makes the math much easier and much less prone to errors. The second is it's at the low end of the, the range which allows us to titrate if we need to, but remain safe at the same time. To convert from morphine to fentanyl, we first have to calculate the total daily dose of morphine. And when you add up all of the doses that Bill took, you would find that he takes 120 milligrams of oral morphine in 24 hours. We then use the conversion ratio that we're familiar with to solve for 
the fentanyl patch that we would use for Bill. This ends up being approximately a 60 microgram per hour patch. But unfortunately, fentanyl is not available in that strength. The closest available strength would be a 50 microgram per hour fentanyl patch. Now, since we can't offer fentanyl for a breakthrough dose, we have to base our equivalent breakthrough dose off of morphine. And the principle remains the same. 10 to 20% of the total dose of morphine in 24 hours is offered as breakthrough hourly as needed. So for Bill, we have calculated that we're going to use a 50 microgram per hour fentanyl patch. This is approximately equivalent to 100 milligrams of oral morphine. 10 to 20% of that would be 10 to 20 milligrams hourly as needed for breakthrough pain. So our new prescription for Bill would be a 50 microgram per hour fentanyl patch placed every 72 hours. And it's important to educate the patient that the old patch should be removed before a new patch is placed. We would then offer morphine 15 milligrams hourly as needed for breakthrough pain. This dose can then be titrated to effect or side effects. When converting from another opioid to a transdermal fentanyl patch, you must convert through oral morphine. The medication should be converted first to oral morphine, and then you can convert that oral morphine equivalent to a transdermal fentanyl patch. Let's convert from oxycodone to transdermal fentanyl. The first step in converting oxycodone to transdermal fentanyl will be to convert from oxycodone to oral morphine. Then to convert from oral morphine to transdermal fentanyl. Oxycodone 80 milligrams in 24 hours is approximately equivalent to morphine 120 milligrams in 24 hours. This then converts to 60 micrograms per hour of a fentanyl patch applied every 72 hours. The closest dosage form we have to that is a 50 microgram per hour fentanyl patch. So that would be the equivalent starting dose for a patient taking 80 milligrams of oral oxycodone in 24 hours. Let's talk about parenteral administration. There are several indications for why you might want to choose to administer an opioid parenterally. And these include uncontrolled pain, nausea and vomiting, which causes a patient to not be able to tolerate oral medications, dysphagia, obstruction, too many pills, or the bolus effect. As the total dose of an opioid increases, a patient may experience dramatic swings in the plasma concentration. This is known as the bolus effect and can be recognized by a patient who is drowsy 30 minutes to an hour post-ingestion but experiences pain prior to the next dose being available. To overcome this effect, consider using extended release oral medications or a continuous infusion of subcutaneous or IV opioid. When converting from oral 
to parenteral medications, we have chosen to use a three to one ratio. Other places may choose to use a two to one ratio. Both of these ratios exist in the literature, and this is just an example of the intervariability when choosing equianalgesic doses. We have chosen to use three milligrams of oral opioid is approximately equivalent to one milligram of IV subcutaneous or intramuscular opioid. This is also approximately equivalent to 0.1 milligrams if that opioid is administered epidurally and approximately 0.01 milligrams if that opioid is administered intrathecally. Using morphine as an example, you can see that 15 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to 5 milligrams of subcutaneous IV or IM morphine. Again, that 3 to 1 ratio. Let's convert from oral morphine to IV morphine. We're going to use Bill as an example. He's been taking oral morphine to manage his pain, but he has developed severe constipation and is experiencing nausea as a result of that. We need to convert him to IV morphine to keep his pain under control. When we convert from oral morphine to IV, we're going to use that three to one ratio, or 15 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to five milligrams of IV morphine. We're going to calculate Bill's total daily dose, and that ends up being 240 milligrams of oral morphine in 24 hours. We're then gonna calculate our safe starting dose. We use the conversion that we know, set up next to, solving for how much IV morphine we need to administer to Bill. Once we do the math, we find that 240 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to 80 milligrams of IV morphine in 24 hours. Based on the calculated IV dose in 24 hours, we would be able to offer Bill 15 milligrams of IV morphine every four hours scheduled and a breakthrough dose of 15 milligrams offered every 15 minutes as needed. This is because IV medications reach maximum serum concentration in 15 minutes. We then would titrate this dose to effect or until Bill experienced side effects that he could not tolerate. Now let's talk about continuous infusions. Bill has been using oral morphine to manage his pain, but he has nausea secondary to severe constipation, which is making it hard for him to continue to take his oral medications. So we can try morphine IV infusion to maintain his pain control. Continuous infusions deliver medications in such a way that we have a much steadier concentration of the medication in the bloodstream. The green line here represents a continuous infusion and it's contrasted with the dotted yellow line, which would represent bolus dosing. You can see many more peaks and troughs associated with bolus dosing 
than what we would get with a continuous infusion. To use a continuous infusion, you have to start with calculating an hourly dose rate and then still offer an extra dose for breakthrough pain. When you calculate this breakthrough dose, you actually just use 50% of the hourly dose rate offered as needed for breakthrough pain. If you're giving a subcutaneous infusion, you would offer this breakthrough every 30 minutes as needed. And if you were giving an IV infusion, you would offer this breakthrough dose every 15 minutes as needed. These frequencies are based on the time to see max for each route of administration. Bill is using the equivalent of 80 milligrams of IV morphine in 24 hours. To calculate the continuous infusion rate, you would simply divide this number by 24. This gives us three milligrams per hour continuous infusion of IV morphine. We would then calculate the breakthrough dose, 50% of the hourly rate, which ends up being 1.5 milligrams of IV morphine offered every 15 minutes as needed for breakthrough pain. Let's talk about patient-controlled analgesia, or PCAs. Bill has been using his oral morphine to manage his pain, but his pain has suddenly increased. He is reporting he now has 8 out of 10 pain, and he is using 360 milligrams of oral morphine every 12 hours. A way for us to get rapid control of Bill's escalating pain would be to put him on a patient-controlled analgesia of IV hydromorphone. Patient-controlled analgesia can be offered as PRN dosing only or as a continuous infusion with PRNs available. Patients initiate their breakthrough doses. And as it says in the name, patient-controlled analgesia, this should only be done by the patient. Family members or staff should never push the button to administer a dose to a patient. The lockout interval for this type of analgesia is based on the time to see max, which for IV medications would be 15 minutes and sub-Q medications would be 30 minutes. An additional order can also be offered for a staff-administered dose of the opioid that we choose. It has been demonstrated that when a patient is in control of their analgesia, they use less total opioids, experience fewer side effects, and postoperatively, they mobilize faster and experience fewer complications. Let's convert from oral morphine to IV hydromorphone. The equoanalgesic dosing table that we're using can be used in a variety of ways. When you convert from one opioid to another, you don't always have to convert through oral morphine. And this table can be used to convert vertically, horizontally, and as you can see here, diagonally. We can convert directly from oral morphine to IV hydromorphone without additional steps. We know that 15 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to one milligram 
of IV hydromorphone. If we base this off of a dose of morphine, 360 milligrams every 12 hours, we would have a total daily morphine dose of 720 milligrams in 24 hours. We can then convert this 24-hour morphine dose to IV hydromorphone and find that 720 milligrams of oral morphine is approximately equivalent to 48 milligrams of IV hydromorphone in 24 hours. We then calculate a safe starting dose of our IV hydromorphone. If we are given this via continuous infusion, we would find that 48 milligrams of IV hydromorphone in 24 hours is administered as a continuous infusion of 2 milligrams per hour of IV hydromorphone. We then would offer an extra dose that is calculated by using 50% of the hourly dose rate. Our new orders would be hydromorphone, 2 milligrams per hour continuous infusion, and hydromorphone, 1 milligram IV offered every 15 minutes as needed. We could then titrate this continuous infusion to effect or until our patient experiences intolerable side effects. In summary, when changing opioids or changing routes of administration, use the following strategy. Choose an equi-analgesic dosing table. Select an alternate opioid or route of administration. Next, calculate a safe starting dose and then titrate to effect. All of this information is summarized for you on the reference cards that have been made available. We hope that you will use these techniques to provide effective, safe pain control for your patients. Thanks again for tuning in. I hope you'll rate and review this podcast and share it with your colleagues and your friends. So you don't miss any of our new content, make sure you are subscribing to PCIC Podcasts. PCIC is sponsored by PalMed, where our aim is to advance palliative care globally and ensure all clinicians have the latest knowledge and skill. To access more PCIC content, please visit palmed.us to review our extensive open access PCIC curriculum.